Let me guess. All right, me too. Fate of the undead. Um, welcome to Idle Talk, the chill conversational podcast about reading, watching, and playing in a broken and absurd world. I'm Grace, and I'm joined by Cole. Hello, I'm here. That, it's Cole. That's all I have to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. We're trying. We're making it work yeah, as best we, we can. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What have you What have you been up to lately? Maybe maybe we could start with games, maybe? Sure. Well, in the past few weeks, I've been moving, you know, been haven't really been settled, really, so no TV, no console, per se, but I've been playing my Switch a bunch, and that means I've restarted Breath of the Wild, and I'm about 20 hours into my replay of that, and that game still um, absolutely just sort of rules, and I've sort of found new ways to love it and appreciate it. Um, than I did on my first yeah. playthrough, which we can get into, and then I've mm-hmm. sort of just like rekindled like a deep love for JRPGs that I haven't really felt since like probably high school, which has been really fun. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's you're really digging into some meaty video games. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and by which I mean, oh, they're handheld, so if, oh, they're just handheld, so it feels good. It's like it doesn't ask that much of me. I can put it down sort of whenever, right. which is yeah. like, very good right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm playing Trials of Mana, which is like a very cool game. It's a remake yeah. of Seiken Densetsu Three, I think. No, no. Uh, I that for some reason I'm like, yes, that sounds correct, <laughs> but I know nothing. Um, so, <laughs> so if there's any, you know. My real, real, the real mana heads out there might have a bone to pick if I got that wrong, but I mean, like the remake is like super <laughs> cool, and I had literally had no idea that it came out this year. Yeah, Which I think it came out right on the heels of Final Fantasy VII remake, so Square kind of released it. Probably not the best time for it to get the exposure. I think it kind of deserves. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Square Enix way, yeah. baby. Is like making bad decisions. Absolutely. They pulled a um, they pulled an EA with the Battlefield One Titanfall Two release situation. Yeah, which was also oh, quite tragic. Yeah, I for, I forgot about that. Gosh, Titanfall Two, one of the games of the generation. Just you know, just putting that out there. <laughs> it's good. I I you know I should play it again actually because I feel like I'm always saying that. I think it's. Just... I, know. <laughs> I know, but it's the thing is it's so short. It's like three four hours. Yeah, I mean you're in and you're out. You know, so you can just play that thing. Yeah, the only problem is um, it's like I think it's like seventy gigabytes. Yeah, wish you could just install the campaign, Ugh. which would be cool. That would be nice. Yeah, I, the thing is, I I could see myself getting back into the multiplayer. Honestly, um, that was like the one FPS that I felt like confidently good mm-hmm. at in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like I I don't know. I guess I could play TF two a little. Yeah, more, but um. But yeah, tell me, so Mana's like, I've never played these games, mm-hmm. but it's like action RPG? Yeah, it's yeah, right? it's definitely an action RPG in the sense that you have a normal attack button, a heavy attack button. You can swap between any of the, any of the players in your party at any time to take right. over with them. And then like you have like your special moves. Um, like it's, in a lot of ways, it's, like, it's just like a JRPG-ass JRPG, but instead of the turn-based combat, you're just actually fighting the fight, so to speak. But right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like the remake, the music is like legitimately, inc- legitimately incredible. 
It's like it, it rules. Yeah. Um, and it's like it's very pretty. <laughs> On the Switch, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the sound like systems, but like cutscenes will load in textures like ten seconds late, so you'll get like some like real real nightmare like faces. Um, these like real real <laughs> real smooth faces every now and again, which is like very funny. It doesn't Oof. really bother me. Yeah, that's that's the video game stuff that you crave sometimes. Yeah, honestly, and then. Yeah, it's just like it's super super fun and like I don't know, I'm I'm kind of here. It's like such a it tells such a rote narrative. It's like so by the numbers, beat by beat, you know, JRPG fantasy adventure. But like it yeah. engages with like those tropes in such an earnest manner that I'm just like, yeah, okay. This is good. I'm here for this right now. It's like perfectly fine. Like yeah, I think that's um I don't know that I feel like that's the way it is sometimes like i don't i don't know uh like final fantasy one hit me really hard despite on the surface being pretty rote yeah you know? and i feel like people feel the same way about like dragon age i mean dragon quest 11 yeah which i'm which mm. i have i have to get to at some point um but yeah no i feel like like trials of mana there's some been some story bits that have already like hit me like pretty hard despite them like on the service level those like moments aren't doing that much but i guess it's just how they do yeah. them that makes it work or like the subtext that you can like you can personally read into it mm-hmm. um but yeah it's like i don't know it's like it's just like a very gen i don't want to say generic but it's just it's just a good jrpg and what's i guess what's super what's like actually cool about it is so at the start of the game you choose between i think one of six characters and each and each character yeah. has their own like story arc like depending on characters you choose you won't see certain towns or in like parts of the world and oh, stuff. Oh wow! Okay. And then, the same goes for the the party members you choose at the beginning of the story. You you get two party members, um, in total. And mm-hmm. what's cool about that is, so you'll be playing as your main character, and then you'll eventually run into your first uh, companion character about an hour or so into the game. And when when you meet that character out in the world, it'll like give you a little button prompt. It's like, do you want to see? Do you want to play through how this companion character got up to this point? So it'll take like a maybe okay. ninety minute aside to tell a companion uh, character's story of how they got up to the moment where they meet your main character, and you get to play through that. That's really cool. I, that's interesting because like it's weird that I heard so much about Octopath Traveler, which is a game mm-hmm. people seem to like not really like, yeah. and does some stuff that's kind of similar to that, right? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I feel like that's, uh, I don't know, that sounds really cool. It is. Um, it's, it's like, yeah. it is very cool. Um, well, I mean, I think that's something, like, that I appreciate about JRPGs. Is, I mean, I think partially because you, you really have a lot of narrative space. Mm-hmm. Um, but you the, they're really playful with time in a way I feel like games don't necessarily tend to be. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think I get what you're saying. And, like, each of the little yeah. story, you know, arcs you can play through, it just fleshes out the world a bit more. Lets you, like, sort of get actually connected to a companion character so, like, they don't just feel like an extra, like, extra battle chatter. They, like, like, they actually feel like like a being you can sort of latch on to in, like, a compelling way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's also something, like, with, with Western RPGs, um, like, the companion characters tend to be sort of oriented around you. Mm-hmm right and like you sort of are the center of their of your their interactions with the yeah. world right um but in jrpgs there is no you right <laughs> in a certain sense yeah. right there is like i mean most of the time there is like a distance created sort of um inherently and so that um i think 
even if you're like choosing stuff for that character right mm-hmm. there's sort of a interesting like i don't know i, I feel like this is actually they're just like flat out the best way to do well i don't know that's a broad statement <laughs> but i i appreciate when rpgs do not have like a customable character or like let you choose from a set amount of character or like or just straight up witcher 3 where you're like you are this person in the world yeah and you have to like navigate yeah in terms of who this person is mm-hmm. right um i think that stuff is really like yeah and like with those you know those little arcs you play through it gives like those side characters a lot more agency like they each have their own reason for like trying to achieve the core goal of the game like i'm about i'm not i'm only about like 15 hours in but you know the the party comes together as a party but they each have their own set goals they're not all like their companions don't give up the reason they're out in the world to help achieve the central character's goals which is like something that's very cool right yeah mm-hmm. yeah and like the t- like all the towns and like the you know npc chatter it's like it's just super it's like it's good comfort food gaming is i guess a way i could put it um like yeah. you, you know mm-hmm. what's gonna happen around the corner and you know what's gonna happen around the corner after that before you even get to that first corner right um, which is fun and like the battle system is super inviting but there is a like genuine depth to it like i'm like 15 hours and i'm still catching little ways to do a new combo or ways to, like chain certain like special attacks together that's yeah in- pretty interesting but i just keep getting hit, like hit by these like little story moments that usually like sometimes aren't even dialogue um focus like there'll be a little way like moments of visual storytelling though it's like j- like really really like evoke something in me um like i think i want to say like an hour or so in the game you come to this lakeside town and it's this like beautiful bucolic lakeside town you come you come into it at like the twi- like evening twilight so the town's like just like <laughs> caked in like a hazy orange and like the sunset's like reflecting off this like seemingly endless lake and it's just like the most beautiful little lakeside fantasy town that you know the villagers are yeah. doing their things and you're only there for a little while and then you leave for a bit to go you know do some questing and then you come back and the town is just completely torn apart on fire. Everyone inside of the town is just dead. And like they oh sit, they sit, <laughs> they sit with that moment for a second. And they're like, oh, the beastmen came and did this, like yada, yada, yada. And it's sort of the story just moves on in a way. But just the fact that that moment right. even happened and that the character, like it just, I guess it just shows us stuff like that's maybe sort of very common in that world. But it's just sort of very weird for this very like chipper jrpg to like sort of have this like quick moment of like pretty horrific like imagery of just like this beautiful town you were like literally just walking through just completely destroyed yeah i mean i think that's something like that having a game where you have like a continuous world but that is also linear Mm -hmm. right that you like move through mostly in sort of a straightforward fashion like it lets you pace out the way you explore that world in a specific way Mm -hmm. right um like, even in something like Breath of the Wild, which I think avoids a lot of the pitfalls of, like, modern open-world design, yeah. is still, there's still a sense of the world being in stasis, right? That you were sort of, like... And then once you break that stasis at the end of the game, like, it ends, yeah. right? There's no, like, aftermath where you, like, visit these towns or, like, see things again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, JRPGs can let you do that in in a in a specific way, right? Yeah, it's like it's even cool. the ways you like return to Midgar and FF7 yep. like kind of do this, right? 
Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that sounds really cool. I've been like wanting to expand my RPG brain outside of like Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> I mean, I'd super recommend Trials of Mana. And it's like, I think it's on sale for 35 bucks on the eShop right now. Okay, yeah, I should also check because I've been curious about like, I think like Final Fantasy Legend, I think it's actually a Mana game technically. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's a little like Mana collection on yeah, Switch. Yeah, that's supposed well, to be good. And it has it has Mana. the original version of what this remake is on there. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Cool. And supposedly that's like the first time it's been you know, released in the West in like an official capacity. Right, right, right. That's really cool. Yeah, I should check that out. And like, I maybe I should maybe maybe we both should try ease. Yeah, I hear great like ease. Y S. Yeah, (laughs) I I had an ease an ease game on PS3. Maybe it was like ease memories of Celsita. Celsita. Okay. Yeah. And I I literally it was on my shelf for a while, and I just never played it. I think I ended up just trading it in. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause like yeah. I got it around the time I was super 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 into JRPGs. Like I was playing every like Tales. I was like playing Tales of Exilia, Tales of Exilia Two, Tales of Berseria. Um, I like oh, gave like the Legend of Heroes series a go. Like right. most of yeah. high school, I was like just really riding the JRPG. I thought I was like just emulating, you know, the '90s JRPGs on my computer. Um, I had one of the Dragon Quest games on my 3DS. Yeah, I played Tales of Symphonia. Yeah. Um, Is that the GameCube one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, I think I played. I played it at some point in my life, but I don't think I ever like really got hooked in it or like actually beat it. I just have a memory of me playing Tales of Symphonia. Yeah, Those games I, are good. I like the Tales games. Yeah, I like I like Tales of Symphonia, but I also like don't remember a ton about it mm-hmm. except that like. You kill God. <laughs> the J- classic JRPG. Yeah, which is not like doesn't elaborate on much, yeah. right? And like, um, yeah. and that the the voice actor of Robin from Teen Titans is the main character, <laughs> or like one of the central yeah. characters. Uh, and, oh, I, there's yeah. a ninja lady. Oh, I, I remember, like, just falling head over heels for um, Nino Kuni when that came out. Um, on oh PS3. yeah, so I actually bought that. Well, I, I have both Nino Kuni one and two now, so I mm-hmm. want to do those. Nino, um, one isn't—I I don't know anything about two, but one. I replayed through one like three times. I really, really loved that game. Oh wow! Okay, I'll—I'll I'll have to check it out because I've heard like different things about yeah. it. Like I have a friend who was like, who was like, I should just watch a Ghibli movie. It's like so much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's been a year, uh, which is like fair. So, but uh, but I've also heard like good things about it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah, I'm keeping my mind open. Yeah, I'm not like you know. But, um, and I think that's like also would be a good place to like get away from, uh, I guess, I mean, is that Square originally? Is that a Squaresoft or like Square Enix published game? I, I know it's level five, uh, the devs. Um, I think it might be Bandai Namco. I think that's right. I think it is Bandai Namco. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then um, I re- I, I played through Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles, the definitive Switch edition. I played yes, that for the first yeah. time over just like in like this whole moving process. I started it a little while ago and I, I beat it the other pretty recently and oh wow okay um, i mean um, i guess you know if you know xenoblade chronicles i don't i don't think you're, i think that i have much to add to that conversation beyond the fact that like that game's very good the story moved me um yeah good sword I'm, there's a good sword i really want a good sword for sure 
Hella good. And sword. then I'm, I I also bought I bought Xenoblade Chronicles two, um, not right yeah. knowing that I'm not gonna get to it for a while because I still have, you know, Mana and then Dragon Quest eleven, which is seemingly endless. I have those next. Um, yeah. But I was, I was like, I don't know if I'll get Xenoblade Chronicles two. Like I remember listening to podcasts about it whenever it came out, and not like being like, oh, this is something I need to play one day, and then. I, like, on a whim just watched a trailer for it, and I realized it, like, takes place on the back of giants and, like, this world just made up of sky, and then I just immediately bought it. <laughs> hey, that's the way it is sometimes, <laughs> for sure. Because that just sounds very cool and, like, some, like, shit I would be absolutely be into. Yeah, well, I think that's sort of the thing is part of me. It's like, I gotta, I gotta write about Xenoblade for the column. Yeah. You know, because it's all oh, about definitely. gods and, and like... And, like, bodies, too, right? That you're, like, that the environment is the body of yeah. a god, right? Yes. It's, like, has a lot of, like, immediately a lot of subtext to, like, your interaction with the environment in that game mm-hmm. and, like, ecology that is, like, just, like, absolutely fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I should, I played, like, the first, like, 10 hours or so of it on, on Wii, and I still have that copy of it. Oh, nice. Um, but, and really enjoyed it, but uh, didn't get around to the rest of it. And I'd like to play, like, those other the other like rainfall project games yeah uh, pandora's tower and last story last story seems cool. really cool yeah um but then um, so i yeah i have i'm not i'm not like i'm being very regimented with these jrpgs i'm beating them to like until i'm like more or less done with them like and then i'm moving on to the next one so i'm excited yeah. to get to dragon quest in like a few weeks and i didn't know that the switch version you can switch from 3d to 2d at like any moment yeah and that's like super super Um, super cool i features like that are great like even though i think the the remasters of halo 1 and 2 are bad (laughs) generally speaking yeah i agree like the hitting the button is great yeah that's a very cool feature especially in like the halo 2 remaster hitting the button is great because you'll see this like grand modern cutscene, and then you'll like flick back to the original one and it's just it's just genuinely just better the old one yeah um i I think the, I mean, yeah, I think generally, like, I think the Halo 2 remaster is better at keeping, maintaining sort of the mood mm-hmm. of the original, but there are moments where it's like, this is bright, and the original thing's dark, and that's, like, for a reason. Yeah. Right? Like, like the way, there's, like, a reason. The way they redo the first, like, two or three space mis- space missions in Halo 2 um, completely like, ruins the atmosphere of, like, what those missions are doing, in my opinion. Okay. Um, Was there like something specific there that just like mainly um, the way space looks in those skyboxes outside of those in like of the windows of like the port windows and the ships, like in the original, it's just a lot more like desolate and empty and just like black. And then in the remake, it's just a lot more busy. Right. Yes. I mean, well, that that's sort of the thing. And I think like the original remaster like epitomizes this. It's like, oh, we just have more space, so we can just like throw more shit mm-hmm. on the screen. Yeah. And it just never like. That doesn't visually translate to something interesting. Yeah, it's right? like, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like what like George Lucas did when he like added his little extra bits to the original trilogy, mm-hmm, and then yeah. like, he's just like making them a little like just busier. Yeah. Which king? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna why. besmirch a god on this podcast. <laughs> well yeah because when i when i found out that he added the mcclunky thing uh, before like setting it up that's like mcclunky oh the most incredible petty shit i love it's that. so good good for him much respect uh, and then but yeah like on yeah. on the jrpg wave i don't really have anything else to add to it beyond 
there's a character in Trials of Mana that has the most annoying voice acting I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, I shared a video. I think... The voice acting in that, in that game, like the English dub, it's like, it has moments of like, where it's like genuinely good. And then like a lot of moments where it's like, just not. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's one character that like, speaks fully in like, Uwu or whatever. Like, <laughs> and it's just so like, so like weird. I think they're supposed to be like, like a little kid, maybe. I'm not even sure. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, I think there is yeah. a little bit of like a, I, I feel like there's multiple characters like that in JRPGs. Yeah, and, like, um, sometimes it's good. Like, there's, a, there's like, a cat man in the game, and he, he like, only speaks in cat puns, which sounds, like, terrible, but it, like, it works, in my opinion. I think, like, sometimes, yeah, like, I really like the pun stuff in, like, the the wordplay in Dragon Quest. Yeah. Like. Cruel, cruel, um, cruel cumbers cruel cumber. or whatever. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Caterkiller is also one of them. Mm-hmm. Or is that, yeah, anyway. I, I think that stuff is really fun. Um so have you cole have you played dragon quest five uh no i think i is i think mm. i played one of the ds ones like eight maybe yeah so that would be four five or six i think are on ds maybe seven is on ds2 actually or, it was eight a 3ds one that's I'm, i played a 3ds one is what i meant to say oh nine is the 3ds okay i've played nine oh. that game was good oh wait, no eight eight is the 3ds one oh. sorry eight is the they remastered eight for the 3ds okay. and that's the one i've played and then nine is the one that came out only on ds mm. okay yeah i think that's i think that's yeah. right but no i haven't played four um oh so five i think five, sorry. five is the one i haven't played four either although i hear that's <laughs> like some people are like that's the best one hmm. uh, i think you would i think you would dig five a lot because All it's right. um it's like you play as this kid Mm-hmm. and he like and and the game's just like about his life basically uh, he like grows up that's cool you know becomes so like yeah so it's like over you know the game takes place over like 20 30 years as oh, he like awesome. grows older and becomes a dad and and like there, there's a very light like dating sim thing where you like <laughs> pick a wife right um and there's i think there's some i don't know like uh, i could even i have i have the ds cartridge so i can just mail it to you Mm-hmm. if you would like it i mean but, possibly um like i'm yeah. already sold just on my core conceit of like i'm always a sucker when games mm-hmm. like you play through like someone's like a chunk like, like a hearty chunk of someone's life yeah there's uh i don't hmm i don't want to there's like a there's some very cool stuff with time in that game where like time skips mm-hmm. that i think is really cool um yeah i think i think that's uh i think it's just a cool game um that's worth playing and i should uh i would like to play four and six sometime as well mm-hmm. um but we're like play through more of those games. I think I bought I bought Dragon Quest one and two for Switch, which aren't like the best versions, but Yeah. Just want to have it on the go. I don't know why Square's been like bad with the way like the the like mobile Final Fantasy SNES ports like all look terrible. Yeah, they do look very bad. And like the Chrono Trigger mobile port. Yeah. Um looks horrible. I feel like I don't know. I, but the thing is it's hard. It's it's so easy to armchair and be like that should be just a slam dunk. Yeah. You know, but it, it does feel like it feels rough when it's like, I can emulate this and just have a better experience with it mm-hmm. than, than like buying it. Right. Like, and like people worked on this. Right. Um, yeah. It just, that I don't think that's a good feeling. <laughs> uh, even though, even though I don't know, you should emulate stuff. It's good. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It's good for the heart and the mind. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's Cole's JRPG corner, I guess. Um, 
what yeah. have you been playing? I know you just beat Kingdom Hearts three, if I recall correctly. Yes, that is the that is the big thing I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know. <laughs> I didn't care for it. I mean, um, yeah. It's uh, it's tough because I think of like Kingdom Hearts one, two, and three. This is like unambiguously the best time I've had playing one of those games. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though I think two is probably the better like action game. Yeah. Um. Then three, three is just so busy. Has so many like weird systems that don't like. Don't need to be there. anyway um but um but also like and also like i was emotionally invested in it in a way that i wasn't with one or two outside of like a couple moments right um like i care about what happens like the birth by sleep characters who show up again in this right or i care about what happens to roxas and a lot of the 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 game Mm -hmm. and that this is like kind of a spoiler but it's also like the premise is like so it's like how do i how do i let roxas be a whole person and have a body and like be and i'm like oh yeah like i want to i'm interested in that you know (laughs) like i want to know what's up with that because i care about roxas more than my own life (laughs) (laughs) i just want him to be okay um and uh and yeah and so um but also i think the way and I think also there are like some character moments in that game that are like very cathartic mm-hmm. and like satisfying because it's like I've been, you know, people were waiting like 10 years for like this thing to happen and then it happens. Yeah. Right. And it's like, whoa. Um, but I think on the, there's kind of a, that's kind of a double edged sword because also like the game is like both very, very, very straightforward in how it like operates. Like at the end of the game, it like becomes this formula of like you fight a boss and then hear a tragic backstory. <laughs> and like you just do that 13 times <laughs> you know um and um and and like and the way it sort of wraps up some of the mythology is like just kind of rough i don't I don't know how to like get into it without like really spoiling it and i don't really like want to do that on yeah, this we podcast could, yeah we can always do a more dedicated you know episode about that and like really talk through kingdom hearts too with you know maybe a guest who could have more to add yeah. than me <laughs> Yeah, and I still haven't played uh, Remind. That's the um, DLC, which is right? like the DLC. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, and the thing is, yeah, like now I'm like running around and like uh, there's hidden Mickey's in this game. What? You you, you know what those are? I don't know. You go to Disneyland. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you go to yeah. Disneyland and you see like the little Mickey Mouse ears yeah, everywhere. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's that. There's that. This is like a mechanic in this game where you like take a picture of the they call them lucky emblems, mm-hmm. and you like find it you know, find them in the world. It's like, oh, you like move in the right spot in these two barrels, like make the, you know, make a shape. That's cool. This thing or whatever. Right. Um, and so doing that and like getting treasure chests and like fighting like tough encounters that they add. And like, there's like a post game that's like supposed to help you level up for remind and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been doing that. And the thing is I'm like happily doing that. Like Mm -hmm. there is something that's like particularly satisfying to me or at least like mind numbing maybe about <laughs> Kingdom Hearts making the numbers go up. Um, I mean that's like like that particular brand of it. A good RPG grind is always a fun thing to fall into in my opinion. Yeah, no, I I think I'm like and so that's the thing is like I can still get into that zone, but it's like when I think about like what what Kingdom Hearts 3 ends up implying about that world. Mm-hmm. 
and about the characters and about their like place in sort of the machinations of the world. I'm just like, yeah, like this is kind of bad. And like a lot of these choices are really boring. Right. Um, but also like the thing is like, I also, I cried a lot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that happened. So like, I, you know, I'm just like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't think it's good, but like, I, I think I'm like kind of okay with where things rounded up. It's not like a rise of Skywalker situation, even though I could like see how it could be that for someone else. Right. The rise of Roxas. Um, rise of Roxas. Rise of Sora. Uh, God. Hmm. The way that game... Th- I mean, this is kind of a spoiler, but, like, the way Kingdom Hearts 3 goes, like, out of its way to try and make every character sympathetic is, like, very annoying to me. Yikes. That's, like, the... <laughs> yeah. And it's not... Like, I don't... Like, I... I don't know. I... I can... Like, there are stories that are like that. Yeah. You know? That I can absolutely fuck with. Like, I really like Princess Mononoke. Which is like a story where I think there there is a villain, but he's not in the movie, mm-hmm. right? He's like a uh, absent presence, you know. And so like I I can totally get behind like multifaceted conflict, right? Yeah. That's not what this game is, though. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Anyway. It's always a bummer, honestly. When especially games sympath, or especially when games sympathize with like a very like objective enemy force in the sense that like maybe someday you'll get to play as this enemy so maybe they have to go ahead and start you know humanizing them more now so they can sort of tee you up for right. that moment it's like the playing as the empire in like yeah. a star wars game kind of like in squadron right like, like well, squadrons does which sucks yeah well i think it's, it's less like that and more like um I mean, I think the problem is also that, like, my my perception of what is good and evil is, like, different than what that game's is, <laughs> right? Yeah. There, I mean, there's, like, a character, and, like, I... If you want to... Like, anyway, this character, Ericus, is sort of, like, this... He's, like, the good Xehanort, basically. He's, like, the sort of parallel to the villain. Um, and to me, like, he is the most evil character in Kingdom Hearts, like, <laughs> flat out, mm-hmm. right? And... Um, and like birth by sleep does some interesting stuff with that, but even that game makes clear like, no, he's supposed to be the good guy. You're supposed to know that he's the good guy. Right. And of course Mm -hmm. that's how it rounds up in three. Like I didn't expect anything different from that. Right. Mm -hmm. But it is just a bummer. Yeah. You know, um, like it's like if. Like, I don't, I don't, maybe Star Wars is just kind of like this, but like, you know, like this, the prequels are all about how the Jedi are bad, you know, <laughs> that's like a, one of the things in those movies. And then it's like, and then they're just like, lol, JK, that's actually not the problem. Like they're actually fine. <laughs> you know, we need them to restore uh, balance. We need them to restore balance. Even though they were the ones who, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Star Wars. Star Wars. Um, but you know anyway so i just like i that stuff is frustrating but it's like the thing is I, I i say that and like um i just yeah i just have very like mixed feelings about the whole thing mm-hmm. um and i also think a lot of it like like a lot of it's kind of cheap i guess i feel like but also it, it just works for me um and also i think the disney stuff in that game is like genuinely fun and delightful wow in a way that it is like never been for me playing those games Um, (laughs) yeah i mean so that sounds like a good thing because just based off like what i've played of kingdom hearts 
the Disney stuff is like generally pretty lame. Yeah, well, it's like very pr- and like the thing is there are, there are exceptions to this, and I actually think Birth by Sleep, um, which is still like the the like I think Birth by Sleep is just unambiguously really great. Like that's just a really great video game. Mm-hmm. Um, like top to bottom, I really like everything in it pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I think generally the Disney worlds fare better in that, even though they like they do have some problems. Um. Because they do, like, actually illustrate things about those characters. <laughs> but, like, this is the thing is, like, Kingdom Hearts 3 kind of does that too, right? And there's, like, there's more direct interaction between Kingdom Hearts stuff and the... Like, it, it's weird because it doesn't actually matter in a plot sense. Or, like, if I were to, like, summarize Kingdom Hearts 3, I would just say, and then Sora went to, like, a bunch of Disney worlds, <laughs> right? Like, there's no... You do not need to talk about it to, like, understand like the plot of that game, but also there's some like genuinely like very fun beats with kingdom hearts characters. Like there's a part where this is like a spoiler for the monsters Inc world where like Sully from monsters Inc throws one of the villains through the door and then throws that door through another door Mm -hmm. and then throws that door through another door and then shreds the door. (laughs) 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 And it's like such a like, like, and the thing is, I think part of it is, it's, like, funny, even even out of context, but, like, in the context of, like, this stuff doesn't happen in Kingdom Hearts, right? Like, in Kingdom Hearts, you go and you, like, play through the movie, the game, except Sora's also there, <laughs> and then, like, you know, and then you just kind of leave, right? Yeah. And so having these beats where these characters, like, genuinely interacting with each other is, like, really fun. Yeah, that's know? cool. And so, yeah. Does... <sighs> Oh, go ahead. Does the the does the demo for for Kingdom Hearts three isn't that like its own thing? Like a, uh, pro- probably. Oh well. So, uh, the thing is, there's a there's um Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep 0.2, a fragmentary passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> which is a uh, which is basically a Kingdom Hearts three demo, um, but you play as Aqua. Okay who's you know one of the birth by sleep characters and it doesn't matter in the plot wise (laughs) um but it is like it is like a separate thing i don't know if there's like an official kh3 demo that's like distinct from that where you play a sora that's like its own thing Mm -hmm. i could not say um kingdom hearts i feel like no matter what it's all there's always like the weird story thing dad yeah well like the i mean it's not the mobile game isn't super important in kh3 mm-hmm. um but it comes up like the the like first post credit scene is straight up stuff from the mobile game that you like wouldn't know if you hadn't played it or like watched the movie of it um, <laughs> and then there's this there's a like big scene that's like a very that's actually like really cool like undoubtedly one of the best moments in the game that's like a big um tribute to like mobile ga- the mobile game players and stuff um and uh so like yeah it like matters like that context does matter in yeah. a certain sense right even though like if you played like each of the like story games of kingdom hearts you would like know what was happening mm-hmm. um but not if you would play just kingdom hearts one and two i mean no way that's like good old expanded universe yeah well that's stuff. like sort of the, like me and emma were watching it and we're just like this is just avengers endgame Oh like, god. Straight up. Like it's you know, like 
and yeah, like that's that's what it is. I I like I I think there's like elements about that that are good in some ways because it's like I like seeing these characters who I've cared about, right? I mean, like not not for as long as many people have, but like over many hours of play, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing them do cool shit. Right. Or like finally like sort of confront the the villains or like stuff they were going to fight from, you know, the stuff that was hinted at in the games they were in. I think that stuff is really satisfying, but yeah. also like everything in that game is kicking the can down the road. Right. <laughs> um, like now there's a game where like one of the, the recurring things is like Ericus and Xehanort like playing chess as teenagers. It's like one of the recurring images. And now there's a game where you like play as that, you know, teenage Xehanort. Oh, my God. Right? It's a mobile game. <laughs> And, like, so, like, there's a sense in which Kingdom Hearts 3 is just a big ad for this mobile game, which is just a big ad for Melodies of Memory, which is just a big ad for, like, whatever the next thing is going to be, right? Like, it just goes on and on. Um, And I think, like, to get anything out of that, you sort of have to, like, divest yourself a little bit from yeah. it. <laughs> and I feel like, you know? I mean, it's prob- this, is, um, this isn't, like, a po- probably isn't, like, a positive thing to say about like no game or no piece of media should be like this but like i feel like at this point you're either like in you're either in the know or or not i guess yeah i think it's tricky the thing that's really hard about i'm well, i wonder because like i because i think genuinely like my recommendation to people if you're like oh should i get into kingdom hearts i would probably say like now i probably like i don't think you need to do that but like i think you could play birth by sleep yeah right but like i also don't know if birth by sleep works in the same way if you haven't played the games leading up to it mm-hmm. yeah right? it just um, that just makes me think of like a moment in high school at a sleepover with a friend he was telling about the kingdom hearts series and showing me all these youtube videos and like just getting like emotional telling me like the backstory about the key like key the key blades yeah and then all uh-huh. this stuff and then like not super related but he then he showed me like the final fantasy 7 like the psp game where you play as some other dude who gives oh yeah you play who gives zach Cl- who's like a s- secretly really important character yeah, who, in like, the original who game. gives cloud yeah. the buster sword and there's some cut scene that's like really mm-hmm. emotional in that game and he was showing me that and like i just remember he's so you know, like earnestly just like really wanted me to feel the way he felt about this. And like, it's just not something you can explain to someone over the course of like an hour. Yeah, for sure. And it, I think that's also something about like, like the way, uh, I mean like, you know, Autumn and I talked about this, uh, when they were on, mm-hmm. right. Uh, the show, but like Roxas means a lot to us for like very specific reasons that have to do with like the ways we've interacted with their identity yeah. and stuff. Right. Um, and that's just like, I think that is hard to transfer. You know, I, I think I could sort of explain it. And like, hopefully I think people like resonated with my piece about birth by sleep, for example, which yeah, is definitely. like, you know, uh, like very explicitly about how I personally relate to stuff in Kingdom Hearts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's also like, a, I don't know, at the end of that piece, I'm kind of like, yeah, like ba- basically it's like, I know Kingdom Hearts 3 is going to be like fundamentally conservative, but like this this like Terra finding himself still matters to me and i think that's maybe like the summary Mm -hmm. of like especially my relationship with kh3 because there's some stuff with Terra that happens in that game that like like makes me emotional think about (laughs) right and that like feels really powerful even though like the overall arc of where that stuff goes is kind of bad right or like isn't the direction i would want it to go Mm -hmm. um or that i think would be most interesting for it to go but you know 
But also, it's nice. It's nice to play a game that, you know, well, has a happy ending. You know, things work <laughs> out. <laughs> and that's... Uh, yeah, I mean... That's cathartic in some ways. That's good, especially right now, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Well, I guess <laughs> I was thinking about how... I, I, well, I'm going to finish it tonight, but me and Emma watched the first hour of Frozen yesterday. And, uh, nice. Yeah, I it was fine. I think people really oversold how queer that movie is, but that's uh, <laughs> that is a that's a discourse I've not even heard about. Oh yeah, so a lot of people read, which I think is like, to be fair, like I I think this is a fair reading. To be clear, I don't think this is like incorrect or bad. Um, but a lot of people read Elsa as sort of a queer analog, right? Because mm-hmm. she's repressed and like doesn't tell people about this like power she has, right? And her anxiety and her try- attempt to hide it like makes things worse. And it's only when she like comes out, right, that she can like control and like make things good mm-hmm. and right. Um, I think I'm sort of uncomfortable. I, I, and maybe this is just the way I phrased it just now, but like. I think the the idea of queerness is something like uncontrollable that you sort of have to like conf- is like weird. Yeah, I think that's not great. Uh, but the thing is, I also don't think this is like I don't think it's something the movie's doing right um, intentionally. But the thing is, I'm also like I am throwing. I feel like I don't want to throw rocks in a glass house because like I just just talking about how Roxas, <laughs> <laughs> you know, means a lot to me. But like part of that though is like the stuff with Roxas is really immediately concerned with like identity and like bodies um, and like the academic sense. Right. Mm-hmm. In a way that like frozen is just not, it is much closer to something like X-Men. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know, but I don't think that makes it bad. I just like, I just think that was like so much of what that the center of the discourse was centered around. And there was even like a, a campaign, I think that was like, give Elsa a girlfriend Right, like a Twitter hashtag and like a couple things like that, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and I, I like to be clear, like I'm not against that per se, but I do think it is like Yeah. It is like scraps his feasts yeah. energy, right? Um Yeah. And, and like representation is fake in some to some degree. Anyway, we don't have to talk about this anymore, <laughs> but like I was just thinking about yeah. that. <laughs> um, all, all I know about that movie is that Olaf that Olaf is a real goofball. He's a real goofball. There's a there's a part in Kingdom Hearts three, where you have to collect all of Olaf's uh, parts, all of his Ooh. all of his snowman parts, but you can get the wrong ones, and so Olaf will be like too big or too small. <laughs> long and Olaf. That's kind of cute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is in fact a long Olaf. At one point. <laughs> um, uh, Which makes that me think of Long Mario from Mario Maker. Yeah, Long Mario is so scary. It's so fucked up. <laughs> I wonder if there's a mod that makes Mr. X long Mario in Resident Evil 2. Oh, gosh. Like. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, oh, speaking of which, I watched I watched Resident Evil Afterlife. That's... The, uh, is that the one? Is that the one I've seen? Maybe. Is that the, the shitty Mad Max one? one? No, that's Extinction. Okay. Okay, no. I have not seen Afterlife then. Okay. Uh, I also, yeah, I think I think Extinction is the weakest one so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it has some good stuff in it, but uh, I I don't know. I like yeah, the Mad Max stuff in it's not great. I just don't care for it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to. You, know, you come at the king, you best not miss. I guess it's <laughs> like. But 
for sure. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to be too harsh on it, but, um, but yeah, Afterlife is a really cool movie. Um, mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your sort of enthusiasm for these movies makes me want to go back to them. Cause I actively really, really enjoyed the first one, but I think I've only seen the first one and extinction and that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. You should, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll see how like five and six work out for me. I think two is worth watching, even though it's like not great, but it's like very fun. Nemesis is in it, campy right? in a good way. Who? Nemesis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Big rubber man. It's <laughs> yeah. just a man wearing a rubber suit. It, I mean, it looks bad, but it's also great. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think I think my my ranking so far is one, four, two, three. Mm-hmm. But like, I think one and four are pretty close. Um, because it's like. There's, like, 4 is, like, about the same things that Resident Evil 1 is about and sort of about, like, control and, like, trying to, like, escape, um, like, capitalism, basically. Yeah. Um, that, like, manifests itself both as this, like, pandemic and the evil corporation that's, like, trying to, like, maintain it, basically, mm-hmm. or, like, use it to their own ends. Um, and I think that stuff is, like, just really well executed and fun i think also like i don't know like i just think the action that in that stuff is like very good mm-hmm. like afterlife like the first the first like 20 minutes or so of afterlife is like this long extended action scene and it is just like a complete blast that's like, awesome so much fun um, yeah how, how so. are you feeling about uh paul w sanderson's monster hunter movie? i so the thing is i uh i like was gonna bring this up too i saw a twitter thing Mm-hmm. and maybe like i should have retweeted it or like bookmarked it or something where um paul david samerson wanted to get a better shot and so changed the stunt conditions of like a driving section in one of the resident evil movies and uh like a stunt person lost their arm i believe i might be getting that wrong but I'm i feel like sure i've heard the that's the yeah bef- that's story before Right, and so I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to check in for Monster Hunter, even yeah. though, like, I was excited for it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, like, I, you know, I own all those Resident Evil movies already, and so I'm, like, going to finish them. Like, it's not a... But it's just a, stuff like that's a bummer. Especially, like, I, I like, I don't... Like, it's weird, because this is also just, like, how things are, right? Is that, like, I don't know that Paul Davis Anderson's, it's like, making movies about how capitalism is bad, <laughs> but it's like, my dude, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you... You can't, like, destroy the bodies of people working for you. That's what your movies are about. <laughs> but, like, that's not a... Uh, that's obviously, like, not... This is not the way it works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can be, like, a horrifically bad person. Yeah. And, like, I mean, to, and to be clear, like, I think, like, generally speaking, like, justice... Or, like, some measure of justice was done. Like, they got paid damages and stuff, right? Like, successfully uh, sued and, and things like that. But it's just not a... You know, it's not a situation that anybody should be put into. Yeah, it's fucking um, up. It's obviously, like, horrific. So, um, anyway. And obviously, like, that's not, like, the the problem is not addressed by me not going to see Monster Hunter, but I just don't think I can really uh, stomach it. Or, like, you know, like, I mean, even, like, after that, that, like, stuff with Uma Thurman and Tarantino, which yeah. is, like, kind of a similar situation. Um, yeah. It's just, like, rough. Yeah, and, like, I just don't think... Sorry. I was saying it's understandable not wanting to engage with those. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not out here trying to be like people should not 
engage. <laughs> like, I don't really know, like, what the, you know, I don't know. I yeah. think I think it's I think sometimes there are things like that, right? Where it's like I don't I don't think you need to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. I think like, but um, I think a lot of times you just have to kind of figure it out for yourself and like, you know, going going to things, seeing things in in capitalism is is inherently bad or like does bad things, and you sort of have to like negotiate that and like figure out um what you can do and what you mm-hmm. can't do and like how you interact with that, and that's just like. Um, I think systemically taking apart the the bad conditions is like a collective thing, but like how you interact with what exists is more of a personal thing. I'm not that's not like Definitely. a definitive statement. Yeah, it's just yeah. like something I'm thinking through. Yeah, like there are some things you active like you actively should not engage with, but then then there's these other things where you're kind of left to paddle your own boat and sort of sort that out for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think also it's like tough because like um you know like stuff like uh yeah stuff like like cyberpunk for example um which has become like the sort of de facto like game that is like morally compromised right or like an example of it right and there's been sort of a lot of like anxiety and discourse leading up to the release of that game yeah right um that i both am like completely sympathetic to and also like why couldn't we do this with like Grand Theft Auto 2 I mean I mean Red Dead Redemption 2 or like some of these other games that like also like had really terrible working conditions and uh some bad PR stuff um (laughs) but you know um but that that's all to say that like because part of me is like yeah like I think Outlook shouldn't cover that game you know (laughs) we should like try and like starve it for attention of that mind um but also I think like this is but like a lot of people are just gonna like it is going to be a big game on some level, right? There was like the, the forces that are going to make that happen have already made that happen to some degree. Oh, and absolutely. so like, and so there is, I think a question of like, well, should we engage with it? Should we critique it? What does that even do? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and I think at some level, like the stakes of that aren't maybe super high, but it does feel like, you know, sometimes those questions can be complicated. Right. Mm-hmm. And it already feels like one of those games where even if, you critique it in a tweet, you're sort of like putting yourself in the crosshairs of some pretty noxious shit. And so like yeah. expand that mm-hmm. to a possibly critical or negative view at a major to semi-major outlet. Um, yeah. That could just be bad. Well, and that's also like the way that stuff gets delineated is, is wild because like, I think, you know, when Carolyn Pettit wrote that, like actually very positive Grand Theft Auto five review <laughs> that like brought up the issues with that game, mm-hmm. right. In GameSpot, you know, um, I think it, I think that was a ten out of ten review, you know, yeah. and like that, uh, and that still got like a lot of ire, right? And so like, it was just to say that that stuff is like tough. I don't think there's like an easy way to like negotiate that, um, you know, and like yeah, like it's just tough because I I feel like there's a level of like you make these compromises right to try and like exist in the video game space, but then like it still eats you alive, right? There's yeah, like. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm being very grim about it, which maybe I don't mean to be, but, uh, you know, um, but it's just tough. It's tough out there. It is assuredly um, tough out there. Yeah. So, but, I don't know. It's also tough. I don't know. Like, also, I really like The Witcher 3. Yeah. You know? And, like, I, I don't know. This is maybe, I, like, I should play that game again, and then maybe I can have, like, an opinion that I can trust for myself, but I don't actually mind any of the queer stuff in that game even though i get why it bothers people and i don't think it's like well handled mm-hmm. but uh i think it just could be a lot worse 
<laughs> well, I mean, it seems like it, might, <laughs> it seems like it might be a lot worse with Cyberpunk. Yeah, it, it does, or at the very least, like a lot more racist. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, even though like uh, Witcher's like racist sort of by exclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. Uh, and like but stuff like that can also be tough because like yeah i think stuff like stuff like uh you know cyberpunk proves like yeah actually maybe i don't want these people to be writing characters that are yeah, not white yeah because, and with and with like the cyber, and with like the cyberpunk stuff it, at this point i don't know it just they've stepped in it so much that just at this point and at least for a lot for a while it's it's felt like they're they know they're stepping in it and they're just and they know they're still gonna have a huge fan base that is here for that and like is actively willing to Mm -hmm. engage and laugh and be like okay with some like really you know fucked up representation and like ways to like describe bodies and like and like just being very racist Mm -hmm. and like just doing like the absolute bare minimum bullshit with like like the whole cyberpunk motif right and like that's sort of the the thing that's like um like with like even though like i think the social media manager that was at the center of a lot of controversy and was like revealed to be like a gamer gator and stuff yeah um was fired i think but like also that process is not like open yeah right like it's not like we really know like what the culture internally is like and it's like i I, like especially with like all the crunch that's going on there right i don't think it's like you can just get rid of the bad social media manager and like the culture is changed or like you're good yeah exactly right? like i think it is uh it is like deeper than that um so <sighs> november is gonna be certainly be a month that's gonna happen oh yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we get you know we get an election here in the u.s um yeah yeah we get cyberpunk we get black ops cold war oh new yeah consoles. god uh, well, uh, I'm sorry know. that we brought like the full <laughs> measure of like games exhaustion. <laughs> I think we're both feeling this, it. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I realized um, I have played uh, two games that came out this year. This year. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm around the same. I think uh, I, I played Mafia: Defensive Edition, Skater XL, Tony Hawk, and Doom, and that's it. Yeah. And I like actively. I'm not looking to play any new games, really. I'm fine with just sticking to some old to semi-new JRPGs until I feel yeah. good or, you know, right. happy yeah, about playing, engaging uh, with, like, current games discourse slash being up-to-date about games again. Like, I don't really... Yeah. I just want, kind of want to play what I want to play and kind of fuck yeah, off and be I think in my that's little like, corner. <laughs> I think that's, like, the... I think The thing is, I think you sort of have to do that. I think that's part of what the that's really difficult about being like a staff member in games press is like how often like, can you really like get the time to not play something new? Right. Um, Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's like frustrating the way in which like, um, there is often like an absence of like history. Right. Um, I mean that there's lots of complicated things there, but I think part of that is like, you know, like the, I mean, like the way people talked about Final Fantasy VII remake, it's like clear, like clear in some ways that people have not played that game recently, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, played the original game recently, and like that's, and some level that's fine, right? Like I think that is like uh, a perspective, like a perspective that's like worth having, right? Of like, there's like a lot of different metrics there that are like, I, I'm not saying that you have to have played Final Fantasy VII remake, right? 
Um, <laughs> but I do think that, like, um, there was a sense in which people don't have that relationship to... Like, that nobody has that relationship to, to like, the history of games, mm-hmm. right? Or that very few people do. Um, and when they do, it's like... Like, I think I think Admiral Mapping does, for example, right? Yes, um, definitely. I think, I think kind of, sort of, Giant Bomb does. I mean... <laughs> you know, like, I mean, if, in like, segments, yeah, right? If we're just walking down um, the street, I mean, all of... Like, I don't, I don't think this is a very controversial statement. Like, I'm... I'm going to, I'll stand by it, but like, I think like all of the best and most compelling stuff happening in like the games writing space is not happening at any major outlet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree. Well, I think it's also just been really frustrating to see the way, like I, I am like, I, it's hard to tell some of this stuff if it's like, I've changed a lot over the past mm-hmm. or like I've, I've, my taste has grown and like I've grown and I've become like a better critic and, and yeah, writer. Same. Like, I mean, I used to watch kind of funny, like you I've know. definitely grown. Yeah. So like, but like, I, I do feel like the way in which sites that I used to be like really into like, um, like Otaku even or, or Waypoint, right. Have sort of been like, um, both like mishandled by corporate leadership. Right. Definitely. Um, and then also like have sort of shelter. I mean, not, not, I don't, well, it's complicated anyway <laughs> but like not I, i'm not necessarily implicate waypoint this but kotaku is absolutely like harbored and like sheltered bad actors from criticism and like yep. you know continues to like ignore natalie lawhead and like their concerns and like you know cecilia you know like still is like a presence in games media and, like and, actively like, employed that... and like winning awards yes yeah which is like really like troubling right at to to understate it right mm-hmm. um and so you know i think like and there's a sense in which like i think i'll i think like it's really like some like die the hero or live long enough to become the villain shit <laughs> it seems like with games writing because like i just think a lot of critics like lose their teeth over time or get out yeah right i mean i couldn't agree more you know and that's not that's not to say that they shouldn't do that, right? Um, like, I, I think, like, I'm... Like, I don't... This is weird, because, like, people might be... Listening, but, like, I'm, like, happy for Austin Walker that he's, like, not editing at Vice anymore, mm-hmm. right? I think that is, like, what he should be doing. But it is also... There is a sense in which, like, the business just wears you down, right? And it's yeah. really exhausting, and, you know... And it can feel like, for what? Like, for exactly. for, these, for this? And like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, for assassin's creed 14 i think that's uh in some ways one of the most compelling things about like the sort of you know games writing cohort that you and myself are sort of involved in is like mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of us just like act like know that we'll never have a staff writer role and like maybe actively do not want one because we see what it's done to like those who came before us so to speak yeah mm-hmm. i don't know and then like we see that like maybe people you know around our age who get those staff writing roles we like kind of watch them sort of critically whittle away in real time which like man that's kind of maybe like like not like a nice way to put it but i mean it seems like yeah it's 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 tough and it's also not like i'm keeping track of everybody who's at who's everywhere yeah (laughs) yeah um and i think i think part of it is that i have like 
the my relationship to stuff has changed, right? Definitely. Um, but it's yeah, but it's, and I also I don't mean to be like. Uh, it's tough because also I'm like, like I don't. If I was offered a job at a major gaming, I'd probably take it, mm-hmm. right? Like, if, like right now, if somebody <laughs> was like, "Hey, do you want to work at, you know, uh, IGN?" I might be like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> you know, I like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to like think about it, obviously, right? Um, but, but it is like, I, um, I think that yeah, like I have a real anxiety about like not being able to write the things that I want to write or mm-hmm. like be in a position where like, I mean, for example, like I really enjoy doing the religion and RPGs column for uppercut. Yeah. I mean, right. It's great. And I think um, that sort of gets to like kind of what I'm going, like what I kind of want to say is that like, I'm just so happy that they, like places like uppercut or um, like range touch, like places like that exist within this space because there is so much great work happening, but you just kind of have to look for it. But when you find it, just support it how you can. Yeah. I think that's like, and I, I think there, there is an element in which like, um, I think we think right now. And like, I think that like the only sort of sustainable way to be in games writing, Mm -hmm. right. Is to be, I guess like an academic maybe, (laughs) or to be, um, you know, a, a games journalist, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Like in, in either of those spaces, right? Is going to be like the thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't think this that's true. I, I just think we have to like start trying to like build a different world, like as much as we can. And the thing is that takes a long time, right? And like that is frustrating, right? But it is like, prob- I think it's worthwhile, right? Like, like, I remember when Uppercut was, you know, uh, I think your geeky gal pal, it was <laughs> called, right? Yeah. And, like, a lot has changed since then. And, like, the way that, you know, that site has, like, grown and shifted, right? And, like, become something that could, like, raise a preposterous amount of money to host a bunch of freelance pieces, right? Yeah. Like, that took years, you know? And, like, Admiral Mapping even being in the place where it is took years. Yeah. Right. Um, and also just get lucky, right? Like a lot, a lot of stuff. It's like, I, you know, happen to be in some of the same communities as Austin. And so I posted my writing there and he retweeted it. Right. Yeah. And like that got me a lot of attention. Like, and so anyway, so I don't mean to say it's just like, but I, I think there is a future where games create or sort of criticism in general is maybe more able to be independent or able to be sort of on one's own terms. Definitely. Right? That's, but we have to yeah. like, and like, and sustainable and like able to be part of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we have to like kind of step by step, like help make that happen. Yeah. I agree. Right. <laughs> you know, but it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's not easy. And also like, it's, it's weird because like part of me is like, do I, should I care this much about this? Yeah. And I think, I think the answer to me is just like, well, well I do. <laughs> Like, I don't, like I, I don't know how much I'm, like, able to just not care about it. Yeah. I mean, right. there's been so many times where I'm, like, I don't know. Maybe I'll just step away and just, like, not engage in these spaces or not just write about games again. Like, it doesn't, in my head, it doesn't sound like something that's that hard. But it's, I don't know, at the end of the day, something that, like, I actively love. And, like, as for as much mm-hmm. as, like, being in certain game spaces or, like, being active on Twitter is, like, like as, like, detrimental as it is, it's still, like like brought me 
some like genuine joy and like have helped me met people like meet like very very good friends like yourself and like other people it's like I don't know. yeah no it's i i think that's sort of the thing that i feel like there's a reason like it's it's weird to say but like there's a reason i'm still on twitter and that i'm not like on basically any other social media <laughs> anymore yeah. like and even though it's like yeah like i i'm not saying people should stay on twitter yeah. that they have to right but like also i think uh you know if you can make it work like for, like i think i've well i don't know i'm having a hard time with Maine lately i need to really yeah. cut down on people i follow i think <laughs> um but but i think like you know I've like figured out a way to make it work for me, generally speaking, but it's just, it's just yeah, tough. I and I think that stuff, and I do not begrudge anybody just being like, this is exhausting. I can't deal with this. Right. Yeah. No, um, I don't begrudge them at all. Like in some ways it's yeah. like, I'm somewhat envious that you're, that you're able to maybe, you know, wipe your hands of this um, for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I'm not always able to do that. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I have a lot of anxiety about being on the internet and even like having friends on the internet. Right. Um, you know, and, and like being like being out there and like releasing stuff. Right. Um, uh, like I was reading, I was reading James Baldwin mm-hmm. lately. Um, I just finished his second essay collection, which is, I think nobody knows my name. I think is, is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a section where he talks about his relationship with Richard Wright, who's like another, like, you know, uh, uh, African-American novelist and writer um, who is sort of a mentor to um, Baldwin. But they had a kind of increasingly, like, tense and fractured relationship after Baldwin wrote an essay that's, like, critical of him, kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, complicated, right? And yeah. that's, like, the essay, like, gets into it. But there's a part in it where he says, like, I didn't know that someone could, like, love me or care about me or care about my work even if i made a mistake right yeah and that's like the real shit (laughs) (laughs) right there right is that like there is a i have a real anxiety that it's like if i fuck up then like it's this that's it yeah that's yeah that's call it right yeah i feel like that's definitely Um, something that sort of pinballs in the back of like my head or like any any mm -hmm. any writer and maybe our positions yeah and especially like well i think maybe pitching to like bigger outlets like seeing how like what could be fucked mm-hmm. up in that process and then you know we've seen yeah. we've seen the we've seen bad we've seen like these horror stories happen in real time of like someone's right. intent mm-hmm. being fumbled in the editorial process yeah for sure and like um i mean i think also there's an element of like there is not really like a system of accountability or like um or like a means of like and this this is this is a broader cultural problem than in games, mm-hmm. right? But it's like a lot of stuff where like, um, like if I, you know if I were to misrepresent, um, like uh, I, I I'm being like really general here, but like the position of a marginalized person or like be reductive, or like, um, you know, kind of like project my like white guilt onto someone or like mm-hmm. th- there's all sorts of things that can happen, right? Um that those are like relatively minor things, but there's not really like a system for like accountability there. And there especially isn't a system of accountability when someone does something truly wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, with the Cecilia and Natalie and Kotaku stuff, right. Where it's like, Natalie was like grievously harmed by this journalist. Right. And all that, like, got a promotion. you know, we, 
they got a promotion <laughs> and right like there's not this this means of like holding that person accountable right except i guess like yelling at them on twitter which is like not super effective right yeah um and so i i think like and i think that's part of like what building an independent space is about is trying to look at and figure out how to like be around it and hold each other accountable right mm-hmm. and like i like it's hard and sometimes i get nervous about it but like i do have a lot of friends in this space who i know would call me on my bullshit right who would be like hey you need to fix this or like this is what you did you know like i know yeah. that would happen right and that is like it's both a sign of respect and an immense comfort even though i have that like very real like isolationist anxiety where it's like i am going to cut people out mm-hmm. right um and i think that's also like the importance of like you that's why you gotta have good editorial staff yeah, and like or even just like other like writer friends that you could reach out to and have them check things for you if you yeah. don't trust your editors you're working with right like building those kinds of communities where you're able to like trade work with each other is i think super super important mm-hmm. um for sure you know but yeah it's tough i don't know i don't i don't have like easy answers right? yeah i but, mean like, i don't think you did too um anyway well uh welcome to the existential writing and games hour <laughs> yeah um we sort of uh went down a road um, yeah but i mean anyway we talked about jrpgs earlier yeah <laughs> um i mean yes but this episode has been a real roller coaster but uh yeah anyway i appreciate you we were both i think pretty vulnerable with you dear listener <laughs> and uh you know i hope you uh take it seriously and also like it you know we're not trying to like i'm not trying to like even though we talked about you know things about like staff right and like different things we're not trying to substitute anyone or like call anybody yeah, out or no, anything like that right or like um, we don't even like act like we have the answers to like maybe some of the things we bring up or just sort of i guess at least speaking for myself just like talking through it i guess yeah mm-hmm. so like i don't you know we're not i mean we're we're trying our best and we're learning a lot um and in in some ways uh you know but we're we're just like we are human and make mistakes and like also are you know compromise the way the person is in comp- capitalism it's like anyway so just you know don't uh we're not trying to cancel anybody out here yeah right except except those who we've explicitly <laughs> we named. <laughs> like laid on the line yeah so um yeah that's uh um i don't know i'm trying to think i like <laughs> but like well maybe we could like try and lighten the mood a little bit and i thought well uh, i watched texas chainsaw massacre <laughs> I mean, so. great movie, great last. Two it's minutes. good. It's great. Yeah, it really. Uh, is. I really, I really enjoyed it. I like, uh, you know, I like how movie scary. There's a lot of scary movies about how movies are scary. I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, for um, sure. That uh, anyway, this is like a lot. A lot of stuff in Chainsaw is about like seeing as sort of a terrifying thing. There's a lot of eye imagery mm-hmm. and, right? like, and there's very little that's like directly shown, yeah, but you also yeah. know that the characters are seeing something that you're not yeah. right. And that's a source of, I think that stuff is just really, and it's I, really rich, but it's also just, it's just scary, bro. Yeah, it's like it's scary movie. Terrifying. And I think that movie gets a lot of mileage by knowing that horror is not something tied to one sense. It can, you can overwhelm the senses in a way that you, yes, that mm-hmm. film hardly shows gore, but what we might, you know what we hear what like what these what like the mise-en-scene can like make us almost smell like there's such a like a, yeah, dis- a like, disgusting texture to that film yeah for sure well there's like that scene where 
uh, I don't remember the other girl is like in the house and she falls. So not Sally, not the, not the final girl. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and she like falls and there's like all the feathers everywhere and yeah. like the bones and stuff. And like that's so much of that scene is just about texture. Right. And about like these slow, like, uh, pans and tilts like over just like all this disgusting furniture yeah. <laughs> that's made of like animal bones and stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all just like sensation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't, I don't think, but yeah, it's cool. It's very, it's a good movie. Yeah. Um, I agree. Highly recommended. Yeah. yeah. It's also, yeah. It's also a movie about how capitalism is scary. Uh, <laughs> in <laughs> some ways. Uh, so yeah. So yeah, I would, uh, recommend that um oh cool have you read the the lathe of heaven mm, no is that a book oh it is a book it's a ursula k Le Guin science fiction novel Ooh. um it is not connected to her like loosely bound series mm-hmm. of novels so it's like left head of darkness yeah. and the dispossessed are both in in this like they're not both those books are books you could read on their own, but they are like in the same universe technically. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Lathe of Heaven's just it's standalone, it's entirely standalone. Um, it's oh, it's hard because I both want to like try and sell you on it. I mean, or like sell the audience on it because I think people should read it. I think, but I it's mean, also <laughs> the joy of the journey. Just is being so surprising. Yeah, just being familiar with Le Guin's work and just hearing the name of it i mean that's like pretty much already sold me and yeah i'm already planning um, a uh i'm going to my favorite used bookstore tomorrow for the first time since ooh. you know covid started because they have they seem like they're taking proper safety measures only five people in the store at a time and it's like a pretty big oh. store and based off like you know hearsay of what i've seen from like a friend who works there as well as like just like their general social media presence is like they're actively caring for their floor workers in ways that, you know, maybe some of the more big bucks. Like, I still sort of feel a moral quandary about actively going to this, like, very... Like, it's not... I'm not just going to a grocery store. It's not... I don't have to go to this bookstore. Like, right. I want to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they're doing everything in their power, it seems like, to make it feel okay and to be somewhat safe, both for me... Or, honestly, less for me. Like, I'm less thinking about myself. I'm more thinking about I don't want to put these workers in any compromised position or yeah, like add like sure. extra stress to their you know their week or their day but it seems like yeah it's being handled with the sort of care you're not really seeing in a lot of retail spaces at the moment right and like i i think like um my partner you know works uh like i am very fortunate to work from home likewise um, but she works uh you know in 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 food and at a library and stuff and so um, like that's been a problem and like been bad in some ways, but the way the restaurant she works at has handled stuff has been really good, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And she has felt like really, um, like she feels like generally speaking, like good about going into work and stuff. That's and good. so I think like that, I, I don't know, like this is, and I think also like in some ways, uh, like, you know, people's anxiety about the like things may differ right yeah so i can't like speak to everybody but like i know that like you know she's totally fine with people coming in Mm -hmm. right um and that's not like uh you know if they're like you know masked up and like taking the proper precautions and and everything like that right and like i guess there's like a long way of me saying that 
Um, I will look out for that book tomorrow when I go. Um, yeah. Um, let me see if I can if I can talk about some of the thematic stuff. And the thing is, it's also really hard because it's really slim. It's a really short book, mm-hmm. but it's got a lot going on in it. There's like a lot of race stuff in it um, that I don't know. I'm not like super equipped to like talk about, but I think is really interesting and like generally uh, well handled. I'd say mm-hmm. I'm like very tentatively saying that, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's really about like the it's it's like a, I think at the heart it's like a book about politics about like the way we construct the world and like what um what building a utopia means and how you like practically go about that mm-hmm. and like how our dreams of the way the world should be clash and interact and like destroy the world that is right for both good and ill mm-hmm. um. And I think it's, yeah, like, the thing is, it's also just, like, it is, it's, it's kind of a horror novel in spots. Like, it's very scary in certain portions of yeah. it. Um, there's also, like, there's a, I mean, you could read this book. It's just a book about, you know, there's the, the central relationship in the book is between a therapist and his patient, mm-hmm. right? And, like, so there's a whole thing about, like, medical care and, like, systems of, like, like, the way profit and prestige is tied to, you know, um taking care of people and that like becoming like a um anyway and i anyway, so this is super rich and like really involving but also and like and this is the thing it's just such a like it is a rip-roaring read like once it gets revin it just goes and it's like really exciting and brief and like concise but it's also just so dense with ideas like it's just got so much going on mm-hmm. and i don't know it was refreshing to read like after like um and like I, I like the Stephen King books I've read generally. Um, I did not like House of Leaves. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oof. But like some of those books are books that have like a couple really good ideas that they stretch mm-hmm. out over a long period of time. And like Lathe of Heaven has like ten good ideas, right? <laughs> that it gives like just enough consideration to be completely tantalizing and engaging, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I um, mean, yeah, yeah. I'll definitely look for it tomorrow, and I'm already like more or less sold on it. And I guess just on that same wavelength, I just am about to finish a horror novel. Um, it's called The Fisherman by John Lang Langan. It's relatively recent, and it seems like in a lot of more literary circles, it's seen as like a good, um, it's like a literary horror novel in the sense that it's like not of the Stephen King variety. It's more concerned with like memory and the horror of mm-hmm. like what happens when the oral tradition is fractured. Okay, um, yeah. And it's like both told in f- first person and through, like store, like just through like stories these characters tell. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. It takes place in upstate New York. There's, there's a there's a little creek of sorts that might lead to a nefarious place that is sort of unknowable and undefinable. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, don't really want to spoil it or get into it too much but it's also about grief and you know how a lot Mm -hmm. of horror is about grief and how that manifests um yeah for sure like it's definitely it's definitely playing some familiar chords but i don't know i think it's just a very well told and like well crafted story that you know does what it sets out to do and doesn't really need any you know filler that we often find in like many king novels yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's cool yeah that's yeah, that sounds really good. I should like expand because I've just been, but I guess I read House of Leaves and then I read a bunch of Kings. 
Um, and I'm in the middle of night shift right now, which is not great. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> um, we just I I would just that's the rat that's the rat one right. Uh, there there is a rat story in it. It's like uh, uh, graveyard shift is that story. It's oh, a collection yeah. of yeah, short yeah, yeah. stories, right? But yes, they, it includes the rat one. Yes. Okay. Uh, which is one of the better ones I think so far. That's but, like one of King's um, early short stories, I think. Yeah, it's that one's good, but I, this is the problem I have with King generally, is that I think the things I find interesting about his novels, he does not find interesting about his novels, and so. Like, this was the whole thing with me for The Shining, is I think what, what Stephen King finds interesting about The Shining is Jack mm-hmm. and, like, his sort of his psychology, right, and stuff. And, like, I don't know, like, I, I feel like, especially now, like, you kind of clock who Jack is in the first ten pages of that book. Yeah. You know, like, what his deal is and, like, what is going to happen with him. The really scary thing in The Shining to me is about class, right, is, like, about... This, this hotel where, like, the literal ghosts of the bourgeoisie, like, devour the working class alive. Yeah. Right? And, like, that is, like, really cool and, like, really scary and powerful stuff, I think. Um, but that's not what King... That's what the novel's about to King. Right? That's not what he's interested in. He's yeah. not thinking about this. And that is sort of a similar thing with Grey Archer, but there's some really interesting class stuff and, like, imagery with sort of, like, layers of society and stratification and, like, what business is built on, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting, but the, the short story is not really about that. And I I get frustrated because I think... And, like, even Carrie, which I think is a book that really holds up. Like, I think that's a book that's just good, mm-hmm. right? Um, Like, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I wish that book was more about the way that community fails Carrie. Yeah. Right? And that, that like, results in sort of this violence, right? Um. But I don't know. It's yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, but it's, it's okay. Like I, I'm, I'm. This is like this. You know, I'm. Si- I'm. This is just the price of admission on some level, right? Yeah. Like I'm. So I'm willing to go along with it, but it is frustrating to me. Like I'm pretty fresh off a reread of the stand, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm pretty convinced that King just writes these huge books just so he can like fill in <laughs> as many like references to his favorite like rockabilly bands as possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, it hey, it can be like that. Yeah. Um, these guys' moments. Yeah. All. I mean, I'll, 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 you know, I'm going to read The Stand soon uh, as well, mm-hmm. so I will keep posted about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I talked about this on uh, the ep- – I was on an export episode of Export Audio mm-hmm. yeah. with uh, Autumn and their partner, Nora, and I uh, uh, I did talk about this by – I've been reading uh, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which I think came out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's real good so far. I've only, I've read like five chapters of it, but I heartily recommend it thus far. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm also reading, um, to sleep in a sea of stars, which is like a new brand spanking new space opera epic coming in at around 800 something pages. Damn. It's the dude who wrote the Aragon, Aragon books. Oh, it's a, his oh, it's first uh... adult Christopher, Chris Paoloni. Yes. Um, it's his first adult, quote unquote, adult novel. And I'm like 200 pages in. Um, I don't know. I read some reviews on it before I went out and bought it at Target, but like it kind of is actually very good. <laughs> okay. Like hey. it's. The dude 
I mean, he wrote Aragorn when he was like 17, so maybe there were incl- there was inklings of a good writer in there, and I think he found his sort of, I think he found his lane and is is driving pretty good through it because this book kind of is doing some cool stuff so far. I mean, I got 600 pages, so it yeah. could mess up. Has lots of room to mess up. Yeah, <laughs> still got some time. But yeah, no, cool. I think that's cool because I, I feel like he was put in a tough spot. Oh, I like, I definitely agree. I feel like he's kind of, I don't know. Yeah, like I don't, I don't want my my like fantasy book that I wrote when I was fifteen to be publicly available. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, that's like that's a nightmare. I would like to happen. My like really um, shitty version of Lord of the Rings that I wrote when I was. Like, yeah. Uh, it's like what if Lord of the Rings, but also was kind of like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah it's kind of what aragon is yeah no like, absolutely uh, and there's yeah there's all sorts of weird race stuff in that book too which yeah. i don't think is like i'm not out here being like christopher paolini's crypto fash but i just think that's like when you're that young and like thrown into writing these like massive books you're just gonna miss stuff it's like yeah. a whole thing especially uh, when anyway. you're like working in the realm of high fantasy that you haven't really thought through of what high fantasy is and like looked past the dndification mm-hmm. of like and the issues inherent yeah. to like how race and class is shown and those space. Yeah. It's just a yeah. lot, but you know, to sleep in a sea of stars, it's, it's, it's cool so far. Um, yeah. I like have been wondering what he's been up to because yeah, like he... I read, I read, I, I guess I didn't read the last one, um, but mm-hmm. I read uh, the rest of them and, and like, I don't know. I think, I think I read them again in high school and was like, these are okay. Like, I, yeah. From what I gather, they're fine, bad, but like, they're like yeah. not very good, but if you want like a comforting read, they're there. But yeah, like I, yeah. I stumbled across, I don't know how. There's some like book YouTuber like interviewed him recently, and I was just you know, listening to him talk about it, and I don't know his earnest enjoyment for what he has seemed to have written, and like him being very open about the Aragon books, and like you know being like actively like talking about in the like many ways that they were like actively very bad, and like talking right. and like being very open about like the sort of like crushing, you know. Just the place he was, like, it's, like, the place he was put, like, oh, boo-hoo, like, you made a bunch of money, but, like, he was definitely put into a spot. Yeah. No, I mean, I just think that's, like, it's, it's, <laughs> there's the way in which, yes, I would, I would also actually love to have my novel, whatever, when I was 15 published. <laughs> and, like, made into a shitty dollars, movie and a bad right. 360 game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, there's this moment from the DVD bonus features for the Aragon movie wow. that is, like, burned into my brain. Deep cut. Where... Because they, they had, like, a featurette about the game. Oh, right? my gosh. I think I've seen those. Yeah. And then the director of the movie is, like, talking. He's like, yeah, and you know, like, Chris. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if he says Chris, right? But he's like, Christopher Paolini, like, played games because, like, the magic system's just like a magic bar in a video game. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny. Oh, God. Avril Lavigne wrote a song for that movie. You know, we keep peeling this onion back and I keep getting surprised. <laughs> Just, I mean, I feel like it's a very, like, mid-2000s. It's like the thing. most mid-2000s thing. Yeah. Um, I just remember really it, trying to catch that man. Lord of the Rings money. Yeah. I don't know. Nostalgia is not a great thing, but I do have some, like, very incredibly intense... Like, I can almost, like, walk through them right now, memories of, like, the Aragon days of, like, just how, like, generally big that was. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. No, those books were huge. Did you, okay, I, this is, um, 
did you okay i i have a question about uh twilight mm-hmm. so my experience of twilight was that when it first hit and sort of started getting big it was like um everyone was reading it mm-hmm. and people were like generally really into it right yeah and i remember like, there being a huge really you know surge of positivity uh yeah, and then it was sort of, like, later that, like, a lot of this, like, gender stuff developed, right, around it, and this perception of, like, okay, girls read Twilight, and it's because they want a boy like Edward, and, like, all you know, like, like all this sort of, like, weird gender politicking and, like, culture wars, like, built up around it, but yeah. I remember that initial wave just being, like, this is a really cool book, right? Yeah, and no, I, like, wrapped up in that stuff so pretty much. sure my godbrothers, like, were reading it and stuff, and then, like, I remember when the <clears> movies were coming out of, like, you know, people... I was probably like 13, 14, 15, 16 when those are coming out of like guys my age being like, I'm going to like going to see the new Twilight with my girlfriend and then being like, and being like, oh, I gotta go sit through this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, stuff like that. Girl movies. Yeah. It's like the um, whole, it's like the whole, you know, it's like the whole note, like the notebook thing. Like you have to watch the notebook on a date or like, I don't know, just like shit like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's just interesting because like, because, like, I, my brother was reading those books, and, like, he was the one who got me into them, yeah. right? Um, and it just didn't initially seem like a gender a gender thing to read Twilight, yeah. right? And I think I reread the first... I think I read, reread the first three in high school. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I'd like to try these again and, like, see what they actually are. And I remember being like, oh, they're not, they're not great, but they're not as bad as people say they are, I think was, like, my takeaway at the time. Um, but I was, like, self-conscious about bringing, like, New Moon to school. Yeah. And like how that would, you know, uh, yeah, I remember maybe we present, right? I remember I got, I got made fun of for reading Maximum Ride, which is like warranted. Those books are terrible, but uh, <laughs> just I think there was like a, a <laughs> yeah. lady angel, but a lady, yeah, I've read, uh, I've read, uh, I mean, yeah, but they're like action, they're like action superhero books, though, is the thing, yeah, they're badass, very, very cool. They're not girly books. <laughs> they're cool i don't know uh, I've, I, w- I wish i could like hop into a time machine and walk through my high school library just or like middle school library just to see what was there because i remember so many you know young fiction books i remember was it alec there was like a young spy series i remember reading oh alex Ryder. alex Ryder. yeah i almost said jack reacher yeah. but that's the that's the man spy series <laughs> not the teen spy series not yeah teen. alex i remember the yeah. alex Ryder books yeah, I read a bunch of those Me too. as well. Um, I remember, it was like, I think Francis Tuckett. It was like these like little cowboy kid books. And like middle, I remember reading those in middle school. Oh, um, I never read those. I can't imagine they hold up. Because I remember like the whole yeah. crux of it was like, he's on a, it was like this teen on a wagon train and he's captured by Native Americans. And then he be- like he becomes oh, like yeah. a, a, a man of the earth. It was like, it was bad in hindsight. Right. Um, but mm. yeah, I don't know. I remember so many weird you know, teen books. I wish I could just, like, uh, walk through my, my library. And also, I wish I would take advantage of my high school library's manga section more, because I remember they had, like, this giant manga section that I was always, like, perplexed as to why it was there. Ah, oh, that's, like, that's, like, the real retrospect, like, shake your fist kind of thing. Yeah, like, they had, like, all of Naruto. Uh, I just remember being, like, I don't know. I, never, I rarely saw people at it, like, ever picking them out. I should have. I was just remembering, uh, there's a German writer Mm-hmm. Carl May, mm-hmm. who writes westerns. 
Oh my god, I didn't re- Oh my god! Okay, sorry. <laughs> Let me just read aloud the beginning of this Wikipedia page. Carl <clears throat> uh, Friedrich May is best known for his Traver novel set on one hand in the American Old West with Vinatu and Old Shatterhand as the main protagonists, and the other hand in the Orient and Middle East with Kara oh. Ben Nemsi and uh, Hadashi Hale of Omar. Oh my. Uh, May also wrote novels set in Latin America and Germany. <laughs> I mean... Uh, Okay. <laughs> Apparently he wrote some philosophy, too. Uh, what a wild... Oh, he wrote religious novels, too. This is... Anyway, sorry, I'm really going down a rabbit hole. Um, but he's best known for the Vinatu books, which, is, like, are kind of notable in, in, like, the Western genre for being... Um, I mean, A, coming from Europe, and B, being about a Native American. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and not, you know, not, like, in a Lone Ranger way, right? But, like, the, that's the protagonist, right? Yeah. Um, but it's. I think he never visited uh, the United States until very late in his life, if at all. Um, <laughs> anyway, so just like a wild ride, uh, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I miss libraries in general. I miss my college yeah. library. I don't really miss my middle school or high school libraries, but I, even though I wish I could, you know, walk through them again and just see what was there. Mm-hmm. I guess elementary school as well, just because I remember, like, checking out it in elementary school, and I just want to go back and just, like, see what they had there. Like, I think it was kind of, they was like, fuck it, and just put, just filled it with books. Yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> and, no, like, I, there's I a, really miss just, like, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. There's, like, a whole, I think, like, sixth, seventh grade, there was a whole span of time where I was, like, an ardent believer in, like, the field of cryptozoology, and I just remember checking out so many books on, like, the Jersey <laughs> Devil and, like... The, oh my god the florida yeti and like all those like yeah, that's and like i re- reading like bigfoot encounter books from like the 60s that they were at like my school library for whatever reason and, like and i remember like they that's hadn't been checked wild. out since like the like 80s or 90s and it's right. like that is that's true thinking wild. i was going like, to discover i don't even know what the fuck i mean i, I remember i had a creek in my backyard and i was like yeah there's definitely some like eight foot tall beast out there <laughs> uh, mothman's back there baby um that's incredible. Yeah, I remember my, my high school library being weird that, like, there were a bunch of books, um, like, anthologies of, mm-hmm. like, African-American writers, except they didn't use that term because it's, like, from 1950. <laughs> so the yeah. correct term was different, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and just, like, this feeling of, like, wow, all these books are so old. Like, why do we have <laughs> uh, these books? Um and like, yeah. But yeah, no, uh, I'm just like but... mentally kicking myself because I spent like my last two years of high school. I spent so much time in my in my high school library without ever walking through those those aisles and like just seeing what was really really there. Because yeah, one my homeroom didn't have like an actual classroom, so I was like just in our homeroom is in the library, which is really cool. Right. And yeah. then like junior year and senior year, my friends and I and like a decent chunk of others like you know acquaintances there's like general people would go to like meet because you could go you could get to school really early like before school started like school started school started at 8 20 you could get there at 7 and like just hang out in the library or like the lunchroom um and so like we bring our 3ds's to the library and like play smash or whatever for like two a good like for like two years and, like we would just yeah, sit at this table to play smash but like i never walked through i never walked through those aisles or like really saw what yeah. was on you know what was available to me because well i think there's also like i 
have a hard time now like just picking up a book off the shelf and being like yeah this looks interesting yeah i will buy it yeah all right like i know that i've never done that recently but it's like i i like want to know like if i'm going to enjoy it or like what Me too. and i think there's like a period when you're younger where it's just like you your time feels freer and so it's like yeah i can just like check out a book because i think the cover is interesting yeah it's like going right? it's like going to a blockbuster and just like picking a movie because that's a cool cover whereas now it's like i have to like read it's like a whole yeah. thing before i buy a book or like you know sit down to mm-hmm. watch a movie yeah and like i and like i i both like i'm not necessarily being like i need to change that habit yeah no same. right because i feel like there's a reason that it's there right but it is like it is frustrating yeah um, i agree yeah i don't know if i've got uh anything else yeah no i don't talk i don't about. i don't think i do either i think we really run the gamut um yeah we really like anyway i mean this is, hey that's idle talk baby that's the podcast oh yeah <laughs> lighthearted jrp jrpg talk and then talk about the 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 systemic problems of, of capitalism and games journalism. <laughs> uh, this is what the podcast is. What we do here at Idle Talk. Uh, well, Cole, do you have anything you want to plug or anything you want to talk about? Um, I guess I mean I got a few things in the works, but I guess right now it's just I the recent essay I published on my Medium page, which given now that Medium has new links, you can just do Cole Henry twenty one dot medium.com and it'll take you right oh, to my medium page which is uh you know pretty pretty nifty um but i just wrote a little not little it's pretty long i wrote an essay about the sort of like refall like refining my love for the jrpg genre and the sort of you know hows and whys that i feel like personally i came back into like the arms of the genre itself as well as me trying to work through where exactly that focal point was that I diverted from them or if there was a focal point at all or um it's somewhat freewheeling but I feel like it's I feel like it's a pretty good read I don't know you can check it you can check it out it's called um I'm playing JRPGs again and uh yeah yeah that's cool um I think I think Cole's medium page is good I give it my full endorsement thank you um yeah, I don't think. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Grace underscore Machine. Uh, and then I got, I got. This should be another installment of the column coming up. I gotta write it, but that's <laughs> <laughs> it's in the works. Um, and uh, I also got some other stuff that's like in the air, floating around. And so I, you know, I'll let you know. But also, you can find stuff I write at uh, GraceInTheMachine dot com. I guess the thing that if you haven't checked out Export Audio. Uh, you know, from the Expert Audio Network, you should, and also I've guessed it on the uh, probably the last episode that came out uh, since this up, and I think it's I listened to it uh, early because I'm a Patreon subscriber, <laughs> and I think it's pretty good. Yeah, give it a so, listen. Give it a listen. Uh, also, it's just a good podcast, and it's like a primary inspiration for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you enjoy this, then you'll probably enjoy that too. Um, but I think that's uh, going to be it from me. Uh, all right. Well, we'll <laughs> we should have a sign-off, I guess, too. Uh, but bye. we'll catch you next time. <laughs> bye. I, uh, fellow idle talkers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs>